Welcome listeners to another episode of Listen, Learn and Love hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast who's come here from upstate New York to be in my home is my friend Chauncey Britton. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Richard. Good to be here. Will you spell your name for our listeners? Sure. It's C-H-A-U-N-C-Y. Last name is Brinton, B-R-I-N-T-O-N. And um, as you know, regular listeners, I do my best to give you a little bio of my guests, and then I give them a chance to kind of add to that or correct it. So here I go. Um, Chauncey is in his early 40s. He is a psychologist, a uniformed um, psychologist in the Army. He's been in the active military for nearly two decades in the Air Force and Army. He got a doctorate degree from James Madison University. He's an active member of the church, married father of two boys. Um, he's going to talk about his experience um, being gay, being a Latter-day Saint, um, and compulsive masturbation and pornography that were part of his journey and the shame and the self-loathing and sort of the spot that put him in as he was dealing with that, as well as understanding his sexual orientation. He's one of these brave guys that is willing to step forward to share his story. And as we prayed, I just felt that there's listeners that are wondering if there's anybody that's walked the same road you're walking right now. Um, and I'm just grateful for a really strong, capable man like Chauncey to um, share his story to hopefully give you hope and perspective and understanding of the atonement um, for someone who's been walking this road for a while. You may not be exactly walking this road, but the principles he shares and the insights that he gives may help you. It may also help you help somebody else in your circle that is working on difficult issues. And so we're going to kind of get Chauncey talking. How is, is that okay for an introduction? That's great. Yes. Thank you, Richard. I may have mentioned that I didn't mention that Chauncey grew up in Utah. He went to high school here in the Salt Lake City Valley. He graduated from BYU in psychology. I may have mentioned that before he went and got his doctorate. Mm -hmm. um, so and I, I will just add in there that I, uh, given my affiliation, I, I am currently in the United States Army. So I, I, I am not representing the United States Army today. I'm just sharing my own story. I'm also currently a licensed psychologist, so I, I want to make sure that people are understanding this is my story. I'm not making any recommendations about how they should live their lives or about how to handle these issues, but it's what's been helpful for me in my journey. And Chauncey, to back that up, is not here in uniform. Um, he's here <laughs> yes. in casual clothes, civvies. Well, I don't know what we call them anymore. And I think there's a podcast that came out before this one that is um, also from a military man. So we're grateful for all the people that serve in the military. Um, let's just talk about, um, I'm going to just, Chauncey's come with an outline, which really helps me and helps organize the thoughts. So I appreciate his preparedness. Um, talk about just an insecure attachment relationship with your mother, with your mother due to your mother's illness and depression. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when I look at my journey with unwanted sexual behaviors and, and, how I've sought to understand those and, and, he, and, and heal in, in this journey. I've, I've understood that for me, I, I can't just tell myself, I just have to stop doing this, right? I, I've, I've learned that I need to go back and really understand, you know, be, 
why am I doing this? And, and it's helped me to have compassion for myself, actually, to understand kind of the origins of, of where this is coming from. Um, it just, it's, it wasn't just this, you know, I wasn't just out there as, you know, pervert seeking out sex. And, you know, there was, there's, there's reasons behind why people engage in, in unwanted sexual behaviors. And, and for me, it, I go all the way back to my childhood, uh, even infancy, <laughs> as far as I know it, right. I don't remember everything about it, but, um, right, reading my mother's uh, writings and understanding that she saw me as somebody who we had a very close bond because I, I, I nursed more than any of the other kids for about 15 months. Um, she saw me as kind of the special child. I knew when to give her hugs and, uh, I was kind of more contemplative than, than her other children and, and would, you know, just, just, she's as the more sensitive child, um, she described me and, uh, yet when, she, when I was about two or three, she was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, which is a pretty big deal for her. Cause she, uh, she, you know, was a very active and a runner tennis player. And, and she really, you know, from her writing, she became severely depressed for, for a period of time. Now, I don't remember that time period, but I know enough about, you know, psychology and attachment that I, I most likely would have, that relationship would have really become disrupted. All right. And that was my world at that point and my, my relationship with my mother. And, um, so I remember as early as four or five years old, uh, actually turning to, uh, you know, I was, I was introduced to masturbation just with, from, you know, my siblings kind of sexual, just innocent sexual exploration play. And, and I remember pretty regularly starting to, to masturbate, right. To, to kind of soothe myself, to, to deal with the fears and presumably the fears and anxieties around what was going on in my environment at, at that time. Um, so that was, you know, understanding that of, of course is, is helpful for me. Um, I continued to, you know, I, I continued to engage in those behaviors over the years and, I got to a point to probably where when I was about eight or nine years old, I was, you know, and, and I got the message along the way that this was something that was not right. Right. Um, uh, and I don't remember how I got that message. Um, I just knew, I mean, I knew it felt good. It's just, it's, it was, you know, it's natural for a child to, to, to masturbate. Like, you know, I mean, we know from statistically speaking, most kids actually do at some point between, between ages two and five boys, especially. Um, and so, uh, you know, it was, it was my way of, again, soothing and, uh, but I, somehow I got the message that it was bad. I remember kind of siblings would, siblings would laugh at me if, you know, if, if they, if they found me masturbating, uh, and, you know, and there was messages just about, you know, this is not something we talk about or, you know, and I don't remember if it directly, my parents ever saying that, but it just, it wasn't talked about. Um, and about when I was about eight or nine, I, I remember realizing this is something I, that I feel really bad about. I need to do something about this. And, um, I remember deciding to approach my mother about it and to talk to her about it. And it's pretty brave. Yeah. Yeah. At, at eight or nine, but I, you know, I still, I mean, we still had a close relationship with my mother. Like, you know, things her, she settled in with her illness as, as the years went on. Um, and I remember telling her, about, you know, this habit that I had and, and she was very loving. Um, and me kind of 
and I felt really good afterwards uh, talking to her, me kind of not having a full understanding of, of how to, you know, manage a compulsive sexual habit like that. I thought, okay, I've repented. I'm never going to do this again. And of course, a week later, I had uh, fallen into masturbating again. And I remember just really being in despair. Like this was, you know, just as, just as a, a child kind of beating myself up and thinking, gosh, um, I can never, I, I must not have repented. Um, I, I must never tell anyone else about this. Um, and that kind of laid the groundwork for me, I think for further, you know, I, I just thought I must be broken, right? If I, if I continue to engage in this and it continues to be something that I want, um, there must be something uh, inherently wrong with me. So that I, that was sort of a key moment, I think, for me and sort of my shame around, around this, this sexual behavior. Did she talk, did she circle back with you or any other adult in your life? Or was that just kind of a one-off conversation with your mom and then you were kind of left to navigate this? Most, mostly a one-off conversation. Um, I don't remember her necessarily addressing it. I mean, there were other times where it was kind of brought up, but it was usually brought up in the terms of like, you know, people who do this um, are not not good people kind of, you know, that was kind of the message that I got. Um, my, my father did try to bring it up from time to time with me and I would usually just, you know, say no, I, I don't, I don't, I don't have an issue with that. Um, and, you know, just cause I was too afraid to, you know, it's like the scariest, I, I, I thought I would get in trouble if, if, if you were to tell me. And that's logical. And I'm a father trying to have these conversations. You know, our kids are now older, but what would you say it's natural to be afraid is there anything your father now? I'm, is there anything you could do? Any advice to fathers to create a feeling that to decrease the f- afraidness so the kid, so someone will open up? Yeah, it's a great, great question. Um, I think, you know, to me, uh, it has to be an early conversation. I mean, I, I, I see my own boys now, like five, I have a six-year-old and a three-year-old, and they're, they're, you know, they're master. Where one of them is masturbating pretty regularly, and just you know, uh, we have a, we have kind of regular conversations about, about sex or about the body and not necessarily, you know, great details, but, um, but you know, this is, this is the penis is your body. Um, you know, it may, as he's verbal now, you know, it may feel good to, to touch your penis. Um, that's something that though is reserved for, for your, you know, a relationship with your spouse someday. Um, so you're not bad because it feels good. Um, if you do touch yourself, you know, you're not in trouble. You can talk to me about it. Uh, and, but that has, it's not just an, um, one, one time conversation. It, it needs to be a, a, an ongoing conversation and, and, you know, and it's, it's very, it's not easy to have that conversation with my son, even because of my own history, right? Like I, there's, there's still a lot of fears there. And so I think parents, we, we just, we don't do well, um, talking about it because it is so scary. Like we think if we talk about it, it's actually going to make it worse. But I think it's in my situation, it was actually the opposite because it wasn't talked about. I thought I was broken and, and something was wrong with me because, because I was a human, a sexual being that, you know, that God designed me that way. Right. So I love your conversation with your six year old. Yeah. I just love what you just said. And I'm, I'm not six, but I'm thinking that that was a pretty natural conversation as my father, my six year olds, you know, even though that conversation might've been a little hard or difficult for you as six-year-olds, I would think could handle that pretty well and be pretty trusting. And it creates a framework of no shame um, that keeps the conversation going. Um, And to have that conversation at that age, um, I think that's really good. 
I hope so. Yeah. Well, I'm hoping that you'll continue to want to come to me. That's, that's, that's my. But I think if you goal. start having those conversations for the first time with teenagers, it's, maybe it's, I've never had a conversation like that with a six-year-old and we can't anymore because my kids are past that stage, but that was pretty insightful. Um, I like some of the vocabulary you use. I hope listeners are picking up on that because I think it's de-shaming without taking away that it's a sin. Compulsive sexual habit, mm-hmm. you know, is what this has become in your life. Um, and unwanted sexual behavior, which is, I think is a good term because I think it de-shames it. In my mind, that's something that you recognize is wrong, that you want to change, but it's just tied in with that. Mm-hmm. And so this isn't something obviously that you said at age six or nine, okay, this is, I want to be evil. This is the way I'm going to do that. This just came into your life in a pretty natural, organic way. And now it's part of your life. And you're kind of at eight or nine trying to figure out what to do with this. Mm-hmm. And there's, and you recognize it's not something. And so anyway, talk about, um, just keep telling your story. I don't know if you talk about, you know, how you felt about other boys transition to that or talk yeah. more about this with masturbation. Yeah. I, I think, uh, you know, I mean, as I, as I grew up, I always felt a little different than, than other guys, than other boys, or just you know, my family in general too, as my mother kind of described me and, and they kind of saw me as the special child in some ways. Like I, I would, um, at one period I, I kind of, decided to take over the household chores, uh, because my mother was in pain a lot. And, and that became kind of, I mean, you know, I think it was helpful for her in in many ways, but it kind of became an unhealthy kind of dynamic where I felt like I had to take care of everything and, and even, you know, take that away from my siblings, not let them clean the house or anything. It was all, that was, that was all me. I had to do that. And it was another part of my compulsive behaviors of needing to kind of be in control because I could, it was too scary for me to, you know, to my mother's pain when she would be in pain, like that was scary to me. Right. And so if I could clean the house, um, that would help her. And I could sort of be in that one way when I can control that and, and masturbation, the same thing, right. It was, it's a, it's a control, um, coping mechanism, like, you know, a way to control emotions when you don't feel great. Um, you know, uh, the sexual response is, you know, deals with boredom with when you need to relax, uh, you know, when you need that satiation, satiation. So it was, the, you know, those things were all control mechanisms for me. Um, but they, you know, with, because, you know, with the cleaning and, and feeling different from my siblings, they, they would kind of pick on me, you know, a little bit. And, and, you know, I remember from time to time, maybe yeah, giving me called gay, like, because, you know, oh, look, Chauncey is, is cleaning the house and uh, isn't out doing the normal, you know, typical boy stuff. And I didn't really want to do the boy stuff. I wasn't, I was afraid of just the rough and tumble play kind of stuff. I, I never, yeah, it was just, uh, I was much more comfortable being around women and girls. Um, you know, the women in my life loved that I was taking care of my mother. The men kind of were like, thought I was, I, don't know, I, I felt like they thought I was weird or that I was different. Interesting. And, um, you know, so, so I, you know, I didn't know, I mean, I, I experienced a couple crushes on some friends, some male friends, um, but it wasn't completely. I mean, I, I still had some attractions to, uh, you know, like my first exposure to pornography was actually to female pornography with friends, and I remember kind of being drawn to that, like initially, and and being curious about about that initially. So it wasn't like, you know, I, I didn't experience any attraction to or you know any sexual feelings towards 
the opposite sex. Um, but I, when I, when puberty came around, um, that's when there seemed like it almost was like there was a light switch that flipped on. And, uh, I remember, you know, just initially kind of seeing a guy with a shirt off or, you know, the male fitness model and just all of a sudden being really turned on by that and being like, wow, like this is, and, and, you know, being aroused by that and, and thinking like this must, what's with that? What, what is this about? Right. And just really being interested in, in kind of male anatomy. And, uh, because I was already masturbating pretty regularly, it was pretty easy for me to go into, you know, starting with like kind of looking at male fitness magazines. And then, um, when the internet came along, um, eventually, you know, getting into, uh, gay porn. And that was kind of my way of, of coping with those feelings. What age were you when this is kind of happening? Um, so I would say about, uh, I'd say about 12 or 13. Um, and I think that was a time period, middle school is always a tough time period when, uh, when I just felt really, uh, disconnected from kind of the men in my life and just really longing. You know, I just, I, I remember just always feeling this longing to be a part of, uh, part of the men, part of the guys. Right. And, and yet I was, you know, I, I would, I was somebody who stayed home and cleaned and, and, and so that kept me from just being able to have those, those relationships. So, and then, and then I would turn to, to gay porn. Um, and there was, you know, that initially obviously was kind of, it made me feel this connection, but then it left me feeling more disconnected after that. Right. And it was just, it became this vicious cycle of, um, you know, the shame and then keeping me from connecting with, with men. So it just, it, it just built on itself. Um, um, just thanks for the guts to share your story. Um, being pretty vulnerable, pretty authentic. And some might say, why do that? And my feeling is, is it de-shames the whole thing. Um, it's helpful for you. It's helpful for other people. And talking about this, in my opinion, helps Latter-day Saints overcome this. And one of Satan's greatest tools is to keep all this stuff in sort of the untalkable box, whatever that is. And we just mm -hmm. walk these roads privately ourselves. And and I've learned, and the people that will bravely step forward and talk about it, ask for help, reach out, then start to help others like you've been doing. It's yeah. part of the way, path to healing. So yeah, yeah, and, and, and that's, we didn't talk about this kind of stuff very much. You know, I was growing up, and I recognized that that, to me, is an improvement in our culture. Um, and de-shames, doesn't de-sin it, um, but it de-shames, which to me is a really important sure. thing. Yes. Yeah. And, and absolutely Richard. And that, this is, um, yeah, and this is not easy for me to talk about. I'll be honest. Like it's, uh, you know, but I, I really feel called, I've really felt called to talk about this, honestly. Like, um, you know, even just yesterday I was like, I, what am I doing? Like, I can't, I, I can't do this, but I, you know, just even as early as this morning, I'm like, felt the spirit just prompting me. This is something that needs to be discussed. And and I've felt that in my own journey, how, because there is so much, you know, yes, por pornography is, is, is a sin, as you say it in it. But I think we sometimes give it too much power, um, more power than maybe it needs to. And because if we just see it as this, this all about sex, right. And it's, that it's just, um, you know, a perversion, uh, which is how I felt about it for so many years that, it, it, it keeps us from 
actually learning, well, wait, what is this about? Like, why am I doing this? If it's, you know, because for so many years it was just, I just got to stop doing this, right? But that was never helpful for me. Um, and, and so, you know, yeah, that's part of hopeful that, that sharing this can maybe be helpful to some people. Talk about, um, it looks like you turned to bodybuilding along here and then you actually got, also got discovered out. So share both of that with our listeners. Yeah. Yeah. So discovered out isn't a word. I'm good at making up words, listeners. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I turned, um, you know, again, that this, you'll see a theme of sort of my compulsive behaviors, wanting to control things. And I think a lot of people that struggle with unwanted sexual behavior, that's, you know, there's this issue with control. And um, I, I went from kind of cleaning all the time to, um, as I got older, you know, kind of seeing, oh, you know, other men working out and seeing them get compliments. And I was kind of like, oh gosh, like that would be really cool. Maybe that's, that would be a way I could fit in. Right. And so I turned to compulsive exercise. Um, I mean, first I was freaked out because going to the gym, because, you know, I felt like I was, wasn't a man, um, like, like the other men, but I, I eventually, um, be, you know, started to see results and started to feel like these, I, I would, you know, other guys would start complimenting me. And that was like, so validating, right? I was just like, gosh, like, this is what I've been longing for. But it was very, it didn't go any, anywhere beyond that, right? Because for me, um, it became, you know, I would work out two, three hours a day. And, um, you know, and I, and I it was almost like if I, my identity was tied to to my body image, right? I felt like people would not accept me. Um, you know, their men would not accept me unless I, um, you know, had muscles, um, you know, and, and so it became this really, this really unhealthy kind of com compulsion, uh, for me. And, and again, it kind of was a way to, it made me more, it, another way of kind of disconnecting me. Um, you know, cause I wasn't, it was, working out as more as a solitary exercise for me anyway, it was, I wasn't really working out with other guys. It was just, it was just me, you know, and, and the, and the weights and, and, you know, my muscles. So that, that was, uh, something that, that I, you know, that I st still have to kind of check myself on, um, you know, being in the military and things, there's kind of this, this, uh, culture of, you know, you're not, you're not a value as a man, unless you, you know, unless you're, physically fit. And, and so there can be some issues around that. But. Not to value as a man, unless you're physically fit. That's a pretty good insight. Um, it's probably true of the military. You may know that, but obviously I'm not there, but I, I think that that's one of the things you're helping us is every, hopefully everybody just finds value as a man or woman based on who you are. You use the word fit in. Part of this story is just a desire to fit in, which everybody needs to feel a sense of belonging based on who we are. And you're working hard to fit in based on sort of what the cultural expectation is for a guy. Mm -hmm. At the same time, you're recognizing that that's not, you know, the path to, to full healing. Yes. Um, talk about, and I'm assuming you're a teenager during this time. Mm -hmm. Talk about just um, being discovered. Um, yeah. So you've got this pornography thing going on and yeah, you get yeah, found it was, out. <laughs> it was almost a daily habit, Richard, of, of me viewing gay porn. Um, and uh, it was such a painful time in my life, right? When I look back at that, like that's probably the most painful time of my life because I, again, I so wanted to belong. I so, and I, and I felt so like, and, and I've, I feel like I had, I had to, I was wearing two, 
putting on a face, right? Because I, I was always seen as like the good, the good child. I was still active in the church. I was still, you know, passing the sacrament, doing all those things. And everyone, I felt like on the outside, people, you know, at least that's how I felt that people really saw me as like this Peter priesthood person. Yet on the inside, I felt disgusted with myself um, in many ways. Um, and just didn't know, I, I always wanted to serve a mission. There was part of me that always wanted to, but I was like, you know, I didn't know where I was going to end up, right? Like, I just, all I knew was this was how I was coping with the feelings of, of, of loneliness and and not fitting in and, and feeling broken. Um, and so the best and worst thing happened um, when I was... The best uh, and worst thing. <laughs> yeah, when I was, uh, I think I was about 18 years old and... You know, of course, that at that time, um, you know, it was like AOL or something, uh, and, and that's how I was viewing porn was on, on the internet. And my siblings had discovered it, um, and I was definitely um, very ashamed of that and extremely embarrassed. Uh, you know, I think they 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 were kind of chuckling a little bit about it, like what chance of viewing gay porn was this about? And and I was just, you know, like my my secret was out, right? Um, Multiple secrets. Multiple secrets. Yes, the pornography. If pornography wasn't enough, it was it was it was gay pornography, right? Um, and that was really hard, but it was also kind of a relief in many ways that because um, you know they told my mother about it. Um, I remember having a talk with my mom. She was and, and her being very disappointed and me feeling like I had just because I you know I I had so wanted to please my mother all along and, and I was I felt just horrible, you know, about that. Um, but again, I said like, there was kind of a relief at the same time because now this was out there, like it could be addressed. My mother had mentioned, you know, maybe you should talk with the Bishop about this. Um, and so I, I decided to, to do that. Um, that was the scariest thing for me. Um, but my Bishop, thankfully, um, was just a wonderful man. And, uh, I, he, I remember in this, that meeting, he started to talk about a mission and I was like, wait, like, wait, what? Like, why are you talking about a mission? I'm here, like thinking I'm going to be told I'm going to go to hell or something, you know? And, um, I didn't, t I, I never told him it was gay pornography. Um, that side, that part of it was never really addressed. Um, you know, with my, with my family, I mean, maybe, you know, shortly with my family, but never brought up again. And then, and then with the Bishop, I, it was bad enough. It was hard enough for me to talk about pornography. And so I was just, uh, freaked out, um, by mentioning that it was gay pornography. So, um, I ended up, but I ended up that from that point on, I, I stopped viewing pornography, um, and was able to get ready to serve a mission, um, within, within a year of talking with the Bishop. Um, and, uh, my mission, was just one of the most healing experiences for me in so many ways in terms of, because I had felt, you know, um, as, as, you know, with my same sex attraction, I felt like I, I was afraid, like how that was going to go, but it ended up being, I was able to connect with men in a way that I never had before. Right. It wasn't around body image or sports or it was just around serving and, and, um, sharing the gospel. And, and I, you know, I was called in leadership positions, um, because, you know, and that was very validating to me because I didn't feel like I was enough as a man. And so that was like, okay, well, maybe if the Lord, you know, and I felt, I felt they were inspired callings. And if the Lord is calling to me to this, then, then maybe he's saying there's, 
that I'm not as broken as I thought I was. Um, uh, and that was, you know, so that was healing in the sense of my relationship with men. Um, but also my relationship with my savior, um, was, you know, I remember coming in the MTC, just coming to the sacrament table, um, in tears every Sunday, um, because I just felt so grateful that he had was allowing me to be clean to serve a mission. Um, and I knew that he, you know, that he had um, done that. And, you know, it didn't matter, um, you know, and I, and I kind of look back, well, you know, I never talked about, like, that it was gay pornography. Um, and, you know, I kind of wonder if I would have, would that have changed things? Um, but I knew the Lord, that that's always been a, a confirmation to me that the Lord, that, that for me, the Lord was okay with that. And that, you know, that that was um, a beautiful thing for me, so. It's a great segment, Chauncey. Um, you said some things about fitting in as a man for the first time. It wasn't around body image. It wasn't around sports. It was about bringing people unto Christ. I think of chapter six of Preach My Gospel. That's what we're taught as missionaries is develop those Christ-like attributes. And it makes me think we just have more work to do culturally to develop those within men. And and that's really what the focus is of our mission here on earth is develop Christ-like attributes, bring others to Christ. And if we have interests like sports and all these different things, but just create more space for men to have, just feel like they belong based on who they are. And sometimes culturally mm -hmm. in young men's and elders quorums and other circles, it's just harder um, for just different men to fit in and and how you felt that and how it, and how the mission experience was the first time you just felt like you belonged. Mm -hmm. And then I love the way you say the Lord called you, which is true, and you served in mission leadership and you saw yourself effective. And I love your understanding of the atonement. I love, I think you did a good job. I think it was fine you didn't tell the bishop was gay born. Yeah. I don't, I just think you kept that between you and Heavenly Father and you were honest about the pornography and Mm -hmm. and you knew the Savior knew and forgiven you, and you moved forward in your life. So I, I think you're at, a good, at peace with that and just did the best you could um, with what you knew, and, and I think you did a great job. Mm -hmm. Where did you serve? I served in uh, Russia, Novosibirsk. Wow. Not a cold, crazy language. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a... What direction is that from Moscow, just geographically? Um, that is uh, Eastern Russia. So it's um, it's all the way, like, not quite to Vladivostok, but uh, just before Vladivostok. Wow. Mission just before that, yeah. Um, um, thanks for your service. Yeah, thank you. Talk about post-mission. Yeah, so I wish I could say, you know, um, that was it, right? I'd solved, I, I came back, and I never felt attracted to men again or... And, um, but that part of me coming on this podcast again is to say that, um, you know, I'm still a work in progress and, and there's still things I'm working through, um, both as individually of unwanted sexual behaviors and my, and in my marriage. Um, uh, but yeah, so I, I came back and, you know, I remember just, uh, pretty, pretty quickly beginning to, uh, experience, uh, you know, I, I had, my, my mission president had um, challenged us all to make this timeline of, you know, and I felt this pressure to like, I needed to be married within like a year or two. Like that was, um, I don't remember if he actually said that, but I, that was the message I got that like, if, if you're not married within a year or two, like there's something wrong with you. And 
Um, and I love my mission president again. There's nothing to, to blame him anyway. But um, but I uh, I remember just feeling that pressure, um, trying to date, but I really just didn't. I either fall fell flat, or I really just didn't have like this interest, and I was in in dating. Um, but I found myself really drawn to again drawn to the men that I served with, um, you know, in elders quorum, and and began to fall back into compulsive masturbation again, you know, as I was, that was sort of my way of kind of. We define to, for listeners the difference between masturbation and compulsive masturbation, if you're willing to do that. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I know, I mean, you know, I think for me, um, a compulsion is when it becomes, um, it's more, uh, you know, obviously when, when it gets in the way of, of, of your relationships, um, when it becomes a way to kind of cope with emotions for me, that's, that's what it was. Um, and also just, I think the shame around it, um, there's usually a lot of shame around compulsive behaviors and, and it's a way to kind of, um, you know, uh, almost kind of deal with the shame around it. And, and I, I felt like every time I masturbated, I had to talk to my Bishop about it. Um, and so it almost became this, this unhealthy cycle of like, um, you know, okay, I'm a bad person and I can't feel good again until I, you know, talk to my bishop about this. And it just, um, and because, and then when I had the sexual feelings for men, um, it was almost like, um, that was how I had tried to, tried to just get rid of those feelings. Right. And, um, but then, then again, it just left me, it was sort of, uh, the, sh- the shame was there. Um, and actually I have a, quote, I think that might kind of go along here if that's okay. You bet. Because uh, it's from, um, this is from a book by Jay Stringer called um, Unwanted. And um, he's, this is, I think, a really um, good, good way to kind of explain why sexual behavior can become this sort of um, vicious cycle. And he says, um, in my view, our self-contempt is not a byproduct of unwanted sexual behavior. Um, he said, is that is the very aim of it. Uh, through this lens, unwanted sexual behavior is not primarily an attempt to remedy or self-soothe the pain of a wounded child. It is attempting to reenact the formative stories of trauma, abuse, and shame that convinced us we were unwanted to begin with. In other words, we are not addicted primarily to sex or even a disordered intimacy. Instead, we are bonded to feelings of shame and judgment. In this way, unwanted sexual behavior is not seeking medication, but rather a familiar poison to deaden our imagination that something could change for the better. Um, as one songwriter wrote, uh, every gambler knows that to lose is what you're really there for. Um, so it's I, a great quote. Yeah. Pretty deep quote. People rewind the podcast nearly yeah. a few times. Yeah. Um, yeah. So for me, I think my, you know, the the masturbation was my way of sort of like, you know, you're, I already felt kind of like there was something wrong because I still had these feelings and that was my way of almost kind of punishing myself in a way. Right. Um, and, uh, yeah. Unwanted sexual behaviors, but I love the way you're connecting a lot of dots here. In a bigger story, that's one of the themes of this podcast is really is you connecting all these dots and these different things that are part of your life, your mother's health, of not fitting in with men, and just how this led to 
unwanted sexual behavior. Um, and it's, I talk a lot about the iceberg is sort of below the iceberg is often where the story is. And if we're going to solve stuff in our lives or help others solve stuff, we have to kind of get to the bottom of the iceberg and connect a bunch of dots. Mm-hmm. You've done a really good job of doing that in your own life. And I assume you're helping others. You're helping others right now in the podcast, connecting dots in their life um, about what's going on with them. Just keep talking. I don't know if you talk more about BYU, um, if pornography came back in your life, serving mm-hmm. the elders quorum. Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, I kind of, kind of came out to myself. Um, I, I, so I ended up serving, you know, in the elders quorum and I came back, but then I, I decided to join the military, um, which again, is kind of the, the last, the last thing I ever thought, saw myself doing. Um, but it was also kind of, I think my way of trying to just lean into some of these fears that I had and, and thinking, you know, I, you know, maybe if I join the military, I'll, I'll, you know, people will think I'm a man or, you know, um, and, uh, and so, um, yeah, I joined it's the military. It's a pretty honest thought though. You know, I, there's a, some truth in what you said and I, th- I think you know that and you're yes. honest to that, but it's helpful to just say that kind of stuff out loud for each of us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, doesn't invalidate your desire to be in the military or that you could yeah. be effective in the military because no. obviously yeah. you have, but it's, yeah. it's reality I, of your situation. Yeah. And I love the military now and it's helped me to recognize that I'm really not all that different than other men. Right. Like, um, uh, and so it's been a healing in that, in that sense, you know, I mean, you know, not to say that all men are sexually attracted to other men, but just in the terms of the same vulnerabilities and fears and anxieties we have about fitting in belonging. Right. And, and so, um, I, I love, I love, um, just working with men. And I think my experience with, you know, dealing with same sex attraction has helped me in that, um, uh, to, to sort of love them and serve them. Um, and so, um, but yeah, I, I, I came out, um, kind of more to myself when I, after I joined the military, cause I realized it was still, I was called, I actually called, got called to be the eldest president and these feelings were very start for some reason they seemed to be very strong when that happened. Like I would do PPIs with some of the men I was um, serving and, and I just, I loved these men so much. Like I just, I remember just feeling so much love for them. And then I was, then I started feeling these sexual attractions and it just made me just really anxious and like, Oh my gosh, what if they're going to, what if they find out like about this, are they going to, you know, and, and it got in my, just kind of got in the way of connecting with them too. Um, at least I felt like it did. Um, and so I realized that maybe I needed to kind of figure out what was going on. Um, you know, I didn't, and again, I didn't have any interest in dating any of the women in the singles ward, like, um, and everyone thought I was this awesome guy. Like they really, I mean, I'm, you know, I guess I consider myself, you know, somewhat attractive and I, you know, I was, I wasn't like I was, you know, so people wanted to date me and stuff and everyone was like, what's wrong with Chauncey? Like, why is, why is he not dating? But I just, so I, I came out, um, you know, to my bishop, um, to a therapist, you know, you kind of, and, and to my parents at that, at that time. All um, while you were at BYU? Um, this was before BYU. This is Be- when I was in the military. Okay. Um, uh, which is before BYU. So okay. yeah. Um, so, you know, I came out just as kind of like, I experienced same-sex attraction, you know, I didn't even say I was gay or anything, but, um, you know, and that was somewhat helpful, although there wasn't a lot of understanding of how to deal with this. Like it just was kind of like, okay, um, you know, let's just try to push through it or, you know, I don't know. Uh, um, and my, my mother was very helpful. Um, you know, it was helpful to, to talk about it, right. Like just to say, okay, this is what I'm experiencing. That, that part was helpful, but it was just kind of like, nobody really knew what to do with it. Um, so, um, I got out of the military, went to BYU, um, 
that's when I had kind of fell back into gay pornography again. Um, I think just the pressure of the dating culture there, um, pressure of, I mean, BYU is a, is a pretty intense school. Um, uh, all of that combined kind of trying to fit in as a veteran, as somebody who experienced the same sex attraction and uh, all that combined kind of, I think I, it was easy for me to kind of cope through pornography again. Um, and yeah, so, but at the same time, so I, 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 I tried, you know, I went to therapy again, um, tried to, I went to therapy to try to change my orientation, but it just seemed like I got to a point where I just kind of got exhausted. Like I felt like I was, you know, I was going to therapy. I was, I was being, I was involved in this evergreen or evergreen was prior to North Star, which is now this, um, LGBTQ, um, kind of friendly organization. Um, if people aren't familiar with that, with it, that holds up church values, but, um, it was, um, so I was doing all these things and yet I didn't feel like, I felt like things were just kind of getting worse. I didn't feel like, you know, I was connecting with anybody. Um, and so I just said, you know what, I'm just going to start doing what I want to do <laughs> in my life and not worry as much about these things. And, um, and so I joined the BYU men's chorus, you know, I took, I, I decided to like take some sports classes just to kind of, again, lean into some of these fears, um, took some dance classes, uh, and just, uh, yeah, and I really enjoyed, you know, I, I enjoyed my BYU experience overall, um, but I still, you know, I left there kind of feeling still a lot of shame because I was still struggling with with pornography and, you know, not knowing how to, what to do with these feelings. And um, so, yeah. Talk about, you know, grad school, talk about, you know, finding your wife. Yeah. You're doing such a good job, Chauncey. Yeah, yeah. So I... Um, went to, uh, grad school for, I decided I wanted to go into psychology, um, and went to grad school and there was, there was a point at, at that point, um, the, the pornography use was getting, actually getting worse for a period of time. Um, I felt very alone out in grad school because I was like, I, you know, I just came from BYU. I knew I didn't, you know, I didn't meet my internal companion. Um, and, um, I was still having these feelings and, you know, just, just really struggling still, um, meeting with my Bishop, um, things weren't really changing. And then at one point I remember president Monson giving a talk, um, about how, um, men should, or it was, it was like a landmark talk about like men need to stop hanging out. And I don't know if you remember that and, and start and start like pursuing relationships, um, and, um, I, you know, and I really felt the spirit from that talk. I mean, you can kind of say that, you know, maybe that was kind of, you know, for some people, like, especially if you experience same sex attraction, maybe that was not helpful advice. But, um, for me, I felt I've always, I always wanted to marry a woman. Um, that's always been, even though, you know, I got to a point where I didn't know if that was going to happen at this time in my life. I was kind of like, I didn't feel any attraction to women. I didn't feel, I was wondering, could I even get turned on by a woman? Like that was a great fear of mine. I, I had dated some women for a period of time, but it was more just like a friendship and it didn't just felt like I was forcing things all the time. And I was just like, is this ever going to happen? And I got, you know, kind of depressed about that. And, um, but for some reason, this talk really kind of hit me that I needed to just start dating women again. <laughs> um, and I started doing that. And, um, you know, that's when I met, uh, I, I've dated several women before kind of meeting my, my wife. Um, 
my current wife. Um, she's a beautiful woman. I still love her to this day. And um, uh, she was studying architecture at University of Virginia, just a very interesting, you know, grew up on the East Coast, just very smart, very um, architect, arch, in architecture. And um, I was just really drawn to her. And, um, you know, I thought maybe this is going to work. Uh, maybe this can work. And we started dating really quickly. Things started moving really quickly. Um, I felt the need to mention to her my pornography use pretty early in the relationship because that was still happening to some extent. Um, it was getting a little better, but it was still happening. That was really hard um, for both of us. Uh, I didn't mention that it was gay pornography again, um, but it, that was, uh, so we, we decided, but we decided eventually to, I mean, she, I mean, it was kind of in her court at that point, but she decided that she was going to keep, we were going to keep dating. Um, and we kept, you know, we had really good, um, formative time and, and we got to a point where we were actually starting to talk about marriage. This was, you know, about nine, 10 months into the relationship. Um, and that was when I decided I could not go into this with her not knowing that I was attracted to men um, because I was still experienced, you know, even though we were dating and we were, you know, I, 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 yeah, I experienced arousal with her and everything, but I still had those attractions to men. Um, and so I decided that's what I would do. I would tell her, um, I, I told her, um, it was, You know, I didn't know what was going to happen. You know, I thought maybe she would, um, she was, I kind of expected that this was going to be, you know, pornography, she already knew that was an issue. So this is like the, they're going to be the nail in the coffin, right? Like, um, and it was extremely um, disorienting for her. Um, what a great word. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, for, you know, I think she's just like, I, I need to think about this, obviously, you know, which I, um, but about a week later, she came back and, and said, um, you know, I mean, we talked about it, you know, at that point I kind of explained it. I didn't, I didn't, you know, say I was gay or anything. I just said, this is something that is a compulsive behavior that I engage in. And it, I, I, I don't, you know, I, I can't, I think we kind of both thought that, well, maybe if we just have get married and, and have sex, you know, then that'll kind of take care of a lot of these issues. Um, I mean, I, I kind of knew that intellectually that wouldn't happen, you know, as a psychologist and stuff, but I also, I kind of was hoping that it would sure holding out hopes to that but um you know so she's and she said she prayed about us you know getting married and, and that she felt good about it so she was the only person that i really outside of my parents that really you know that i never dated that really knew about this and that was very validating for me to, for her to say let's go forward with this um because it, it was like okay she's not going to reject me um because that was one of my fears sure. all these years of in dating women and um if they, if they knew this about me, like no one would ever want to marry me. Right. Um, um, and yet she, um, you know, said she wanted to, to do that. Um, yeah. Um, it just takes so much. There's so many parts of the story that even though you don't maybe want to hear this word takes incredible courage. Um, to do what you're doing, to come out to your wife, tell her about the pornography, and then to tell them about your orientation. These are hard things, especially with someone you love. You've done that with your bishop. You've done that with your mother. Um, 
it seems like you've tried to be, live a life of integrity. You've done it with bishops the very best you can. And I just admire what your very best efforts to be honest. And you probably feel like you haven't always been honest and you don't want to give yourself a courage label perhaps, but it's just my experience is the road you walk is so isolating and so alone and there's no one else sort of walking that road with you. You don't have mentors that have sort of walked that road five years ahead of you that say, this is kind of how you can do it. I've been there and I can kind of walk you along with me. Mm -hmm. um, so I just think you're doing the best job you can. And I think it's good that your hopes were that this would work mm -hmm. and that your same-sex attraction would be suppressed as you're going to an, a marriage mm -hmm. and become physically intimate. I would think that would be a hope that would be a logical hope that both of you would have. And there's obviously been some sparks and some chemistry in the dating process. So that would be a very logical thing. Yeah. Yes. And you yeah. both care for each other and you're both, you know, wonderful people doing good things and graduate degrees and beyond. So yeah, it's just complicated. Chauncey, as you know, firsthand. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about your marriage then or wherever else you want to yeah. go with the podcast. Yeah, I know. I, you know, um, so we got married and, uh, you know, beautiful ceiling in Washington, D.C. temple. And, you know, uh, it, again, you know, like, as I alluded to the, the, the hope that this would just go away, um, didn't, didn't, um, get realized. And pretty early on, um, you know, I, I, I found myself, it's almost like, you know, for me, it was like I op opening up that, that can of worms, you know, my, my, my sexuality also opened up, continued to open it up towards, toward the sexuality towards men. Um, and it, you know, I don't know, can of worms is the right way to put that, but, um, but it just, you know, it, so I, I could continue to struggle with, with pornography. Um, and I was, but I was always honest with my wife, but it, but it was almost in an unhealthy way, right? It became this sort of like, um, well, I can just, I'll just dump this on you and then I can feel good about it. Right. And I can just like, I wasn't really facing dealing with my sexuality. It wasn't like, I was just like trying to, again, you know, this approach of like, I just gotta, I just gotta shut this off and then everything will work. But, um, and, and she was, but my wife was, that was very hard for her. And we, and, and obviously we've been talking about, you know, we've been processing this, this a lot now in our marriage where we're at a place where, we're not sure um, whether our marriage is going to continue right now be, um, because of some of the things we've been through. But um, she, yeah, she was the only, again, she was like the only one that was from her family. And I wasn't really talking about this with anyone from my family. So she was bearing the brunt of, of this um, burden in many ways. Um, you know, uh, and it just, you know, it's not to say that over the years we had great moments too. Like there were times where, I mean, I served in a bishopric and I had period of, of successes. Like I wasn't, I want to, I don't want to paint the picture that I was just like, you know, this, you know, abusive person or anything. It was, um, again, it was just, I was just trying to figure things out. Right. And I, and I did a lot of good during that time. We had a lot of good connections, you know, we had two, two boys along the way. And, um, and we both say, you know, we would never go back and change anything, you know, I mean, change that we got married and, and things like that. Um, you know, uh, so it, this all came to kind of a, 
turning point, I guess, um, you could say, um, in August of this year, uh, when my wife kind August of August twenty twenty August of twenty twenty, yeah, my wife kind of came to me, and just said, um, you know, it was again one of these best and worst things that that happened to me, like Chauncey, like I I'm not sure how much longer I can walk this road with you, um, and. That was very hard because I knew this time that she was, I, I could just tell this time was different than, you know, because we've had kind of conversations like before, but I could just tell this time was different. She had kind of, it was a lot, right? Um, and that was when I started to realize that I needed to actually maybe start looking into this sexuality thing. Um, you know, what is this about? And why do I keep going back to this? Um, what is missing from my life? Um, and, you know, uh, long story short, um, you know, I, I ran into, I mean, your podcast is a part of the story too, Richard. Like I, I came across your podcast, um, you know, questions from the closet, these kind of podcasts where I was like, I remember first thinking, Oh, you know, I can't listen to those. These are like, these are where these, these people are. Um, on the fringe, right? They're, they're, they're doing, um, uh, crazy, you know, they're apostate or whatever, you know, like I just, um, but I, I, I took that jump. Um, cause I had a lot of homophobia about myself too. Like, right. I was just like, I, I didn't like myself. Um, and, but as I listened to these stories, um, you know, and actually Ben Shalati was my roommate, by the way, at BYU. So, oh, um, that's but we cool. didn't, I mean, uh, we didn't really connect until just this year again. But um, so anyway, we, these stories really, my, my heart became softened and I started to realize these stories were in many ways, my story. Um, not, you know, not exactly everybody's story is different, but I just, I recognized that that was, uh, that, that that was me um, and that it was okay to experience attractions to men that wasn't a bad thing that that was maybe even a gift um and i that was something i could never say before this right like um and i remember one night just i kind of couldn't sleep and this thought just came to me maybe i just need to sort of more openly talk about identify as gay as a gay man and that would be the last thing i'd ever you know, I mean, just being on this podcast is the last thing I would ever tell you I'd be doing, um, just even, you know, a year ago. Um, but as I prayed about it, talking to my bishop about it, I realized that for me, um, it would actually help me to be a better disciple of Christ. Um, by just identifying as a gay man, um, talking to my wife about it as well. Um, and I was surprised at how supportive she was and how she was almost just like, it was just like a relief to her, right? Um, as well, because she, I mean, she knew this was an experience I had and she was just like, so it was also helpful for her because now she could talk about it, right? I mean, it was, it, there's obviously pros and cons to it. There's, it's complicated, but um, but she could now not be alone in, in bearing this burden as well. Um, you know, and I've realized that this has been a key piece of the puzzle and sort of healing from with my unwanted sexual behaviors is that, that has 
because again, if this was my way of, in many ways, my way of kind of punishing myself, right? The, the pornography use, um, if I no longer have to punish myself for this, um, right? Like it was almost like immediately a lot of those urges went away. Wow. <laughs> and, and partly because now I was being vulnerable and connecting with, um, uh, with people and talking about this, cause that was a big part of what I was missing. Right. It was this, I feel like people would reject me. And, and I found out that that was not true, that it actually, that was most of that was in my head. And, you know, like just given how supportive my Bishop was, um, came out to my elders quorum. He's encouraged me to come out to them. And that was the scariest thing because I sort of thought that, you know, there were some people that were really conservative in there and I thought that they would kind of, but the, ver the most conservative one actually kind of just said his response was Chauncey, you just need to embrace who you are. <laughs> and I was just like, wow, I wasn't expecting that. Um, wow. you know, and so, but just being, and just being able to connect with North star, you know, I had known about North star previously and kind of secretly watched their conferences, you know, from my internet, um, in the past, but I've been able to connect with um, people like Travis Stewart, who runs a, a support group through Zoom. And I've, I've been meeting with these men that are, you know, and that are some of the most spiritual, faithful men that I have ever come in contact with. And, and even just attending, I just attended the North Star Conference this last weekend. And just the inspiration of these men and women, you know, people across the LGBTQ spectrum of of how they're trying to navigate this and um, follow the Lord and, and making a difference in ways that they couldn't, you know, if otherwise um, has been an inspiration, but just the connection piece, the, the belonging piece has, has in many ways um, been filled in. Right. Um, uh, yeah. As far as, my marriage goes, um, and then, you know, I don't know if, uh, because of the damage that's been done over the years and, and, you know, and my, my wife has been so supportive. She's been supportive. Like I said, she's been supportive of me coming on this podcast, supportive of me going to North star conference. She wants me to heal. And we both, we, we just don't know. She just, like I said, she still just doesn't know if she can if she's able to continue and walk this road with me. Um, and it's nothing again, you know, she's, she's, she loves me and she, and we both love each other, but it's just, it's a complicated thing. And, and we're both trying to figure out, um, you know, we want to do what the Lord wants. Um, and we also feel like the Lord is trusting us too to do what, what is best. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, we're in marital therapy, we're trying to figure things out, but you know, there's, there's some, there's still some definitely difficult, a lot of difficulties in our marriage that, you know, um, that need to be worked out. Um, but I, I mean, I am in this, um, par sort of this, uh, sitting kind of in this paradox right now in many ways, I feel like, um, attending this North star conference was helpful. It also brought up, um, some pain for me, kind of like thinking about my, the way ahead for me. And, um, I really just felt like I needed to, cause I, I still experience attractions to men and there can be very strong at times. Um, and, and even more so sometimes now with given that, you know, in my marriage where there's some, you know, it's rough times right now. 
And so, you know, the other day I was just kind of in a rough spot and just kind of asking the Lord, like, you know, do I really have to choose between you and, you know, this thing I really want um, to be just with a man? Um, I still have those strong longings and those desires. And, and those came up to the forefront to me at North Star in many ways, just, you know, just because of the nature of the, of, of what we're talking about there and, and processing. And the answer that I got from the Lord um, was that, you know, Chauncey, uh, you don't, no, you don't have to choose between me or a relationship with a man. That's, I'm not. I'm not saying I'm gonna go marry a man necessarily. Um, I mean, I don't know what that means right now, but I. But I do know that it means. Um, I guess the feeling that I got that it meant for me was that if I put the Lord first, in many ways, I already have. You know, this 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 longing that I have for for male affection, for male acceptance. I, in many ways, have that um, through my Savior. Uh, and he has, you know, he was the man, right? And who has shown that to me um, multiple times uh, throughout all of this. And has I felt his embrace, right? There's times where I just feel like I just want to be embraced by a man. Um, and the Savior has has done that for me. And I was the thought that the feeling that I had was that as I put him first and trust in him in this paradox, whatever happens, that I will have eternal relationships with, with men that are, that are just intimate connecting and accept, you know, accepting more so than, you know, anything that I've experienced, you know, than anything that kind of a sexual relationship could, could necessarily give. Um, Yeah, and that's kind of where I'm at right now. I don't know. Um, Let's just thank you for just being so honest and so vulnerable and so authentic and so real. Those are, to me, Christ-like attributes, men attributes, attributes of courage. I love, there's so many things I could say now. Um <laughs> I want to keep telling, having you tell your story. I love that coming out as gay helped you. I love that your bishop didn't say, don't talk about this. I love that he somehow intuitively or personal revelation or whatever, because my reaction would have been just the opposite until I sort of stepped in this space. Don't talk about it, Chauncey. Don't let anybody know about this. Because for him to be fine with you or encouraging you to come out to the elders quorum and people just to it's this famous quote, listeners, that we share all the time. Fitting is about assessing a situation and, and becoming someone who you need to be. Belonging, on the other hand, it requires to change who we are, requires us to be who you are. So you've been able to be who you are in your elders quorum and in other environments. And then the unwanted sexual behaviors and some of that other stuff lifts from your life. And I like that you connect the dots, that that's part of the lifting of that is just being belonging. You felt that on your mission? Mm-hmm. Um, you felt that at times, but you feel it in other spaces at times, like that elders quorum when you came out. Um, you have church callings in your ward. Your bishop hasn't taken your church callings away. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love the way your bishop's helping you navigate this. And, you know, if you were, I love that you're going slow. I love that you and your wife, 
that would be, I don't have any advice for you, but to do the thing you're doing right now. I'm mm-hmm. not a therapist and I'm not your bishop. Yeah. So I don't really have any yeah. standing here. I'm a podcast host. <laughs> um, I'm, but I love just intuitively that you two are going slow. And I think it's okay you don't know the future. And, and I love this idea of that you're not sure she can walk this road with you anymore. And, and that's okay. I think that's an okay visual to sort of, we both know you've made covenants. You both know that this is not where you wanted to be at this point in your marriage. It's the reality of your marriage. Really mm-hmm. good people get in a situation where the reality of marriage is where you are. Mm-hmm. And they're two good adults, deeply committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And they just, because life just, you know, is life. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, I love you're going to therapy. You mentioned that proactively. I love that you're, you know, you're trying to understand. I love that you coming out, she thought that would be helpful. And I recognize you connect the dots that it allows her to sort of probably process this with other people. And it's her coming out too mm-hmm. in the situation. And I'm your intuitiveness to understand that so people can help her. So I think you're doing just as good a job as you can. There's no, this is just another chapter of your life. There's no owner's manual, but in some ways there is. And you're teaching us because you're just continually relying heavenly father, mm-hmm. your deep relationship with heavenly father and the savior to sort of navigate this stuff. And I, I just think that's, I, I just think you're doing the best you can. I love marriages to succeed. We both do. <laughs> um, but when one just, I just, I think I just trust you guys to continue to know the best way you can go forward. And my job is, as an innocent bystander, if that's the right word, is just to trust you two and to not get too prescriptive or not point you that this is the way it works and point to another couple, or this is the way it's not going to work and point to another couple or take my story and make it your story. If I mm-hmm. have a successful marriage or don't, but just try to sit with you as you're navigating your marriage the best way I can and just be a safe place for you to process things and just trust you two that you'll make the right decision. Is that okay? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, um, I appreciate that Richard. And yeah, cause, cause we do, you know, it, it's easy sometimes in the church and we, and we get, you know, you know, listen to this podcast or, you know, this is how this person did it. And, uh, you know, on, on both ends of the spectrum kind of, you know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be married to this, to, you know, to a gay man, like it's not going to work or, you know, these people did it, made it work or, you know, what is, what are you guys doing? Like, why is Chauncey talking about this? Or, you know, like, um, you know, so, I mean, we haven't gotten a lot of that, but there's, there's some, some of that and that can be, um, it's not, not super helpful, but. I love the paradoxes. Um, sitting in all these paradoxes. Um, you've been doing that for a long time. And I just think that's part of mortality is we get in these paradoxes and it's, you've been doing that a lot. And I think it's stretchy and it's, and it allows you to help other people in paradoxes. I think that's part of what you're probably doing in your professional work is since you've, yeah. and they probably may not get why you get it because you probably they don't know your story, but I would just get people leave your mm-hmm. sessions and go, he gets it. And he can sort of understand the paradoxes of my life. And these aren't people that are in our church. This is a military setting. So it's not yeah. a, there's no religious principles being taught directly, but I just would guess one of the things that you're doing is helping a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I did put a rainbow flag in my office. So um, <laughs> they, I mean, whether they know, think that, I don't know what they think that means, but um, safe, but it's a safe, hopefully they think it's a safe place. It's a safe place. Yeah. Um, keep talking. Would you just, um, I just, 
let you continue to talk yeah. about things you'd like to talk about. I, I guess the other thing I was going to mention is the reason addressing and accepting my sexuality has been so helpful for me is because it's allowed me to approach my sexual fantasies with curiosity rather than running away from them. Uh, there's this idea that our fantasies or our sexual urges, our sexual thoughts, they're bad and that we must avoid them uh, at all costs. And this has never really been helpful. And I don't think it's a helpful view. And, and, and let me explain why. Um, I spent so many years ashamed of my sexual fantasies about men that I didn't realize that they were actually there to teach me something about, about who I am, about what I need. And what they teach me is really that I need bro time. Um, I, I mean, I think all men do. Men need men. Um, but as a gay man, I think I just might need maybe a larger dose of it than others, or maybe I'm just more sensitive to this need. Um, I think that's why I did so well on my mission. I didn't really struggle with same-sex attraction. I mean, I still experienced it, but it wasn't a concern because I was connecting with other men. Um, I felt this sense of belonging that I never felt before. There was healthy male affection. You know, um, uh, when missionaries see each other, we, we hug each other. Um, and, and that's, that's partly why I joined the military too. Uh, just, I, I'm, I'm drawn to men. I'm, I'm, I'm happiest when I'm out with soldiers in the field or doing physical training with other men. Um, you know, male, so, so for me, male friendship, giving and receiving male affection is something that I'm really working on getting better at because I know I do so much better when I, and I'm just healthier all around when I have these things in my life. So rather than run away from these fantasies, I now try to, to learn from them. There, there are signals to me that I need, I need men. Um, you know, not in a sexual way, uh, in, a, in, a, in a friendship, in a connection way. So, you know, even now when I, when I see a man that I'm attracted to, um, uh, rather than run away from that, I try to lean into it. And I, I'm, I try to approach the man, this man, and, and, and try to get to know him. And when I do this, it, it kind of bursts the bubble of those sexual feelings. Um, I realize that he's, he's, another man with real needs, fears, desires. Um, you know, I, I'll still see him as a beautiful man, but in a, in a more uh, spiritual way rather than this objectification um, fantasy way. Um, so, you know, this has been a huge insight for me. Um, I don't try to feed my sexual fantasies or sexual attractions or entertain them to make them stronger. But when they arise, I try to become curious and ask myself, you know, what do I really need in this moment? Um, you know, and sometimes it's not necessarily, you know, to connect with a man. Sometimes I might just need to, to eat something or, you know, I might need to get some sleep or uh, journal or, uh, you know, I don't know, uh, 
if I just immediately avoid them by, you know, singing a hymn or saying a prayer, not that those things are not important and helpful, but if we use them to avoid or run away from something we're afraid of, then we never really get the opportunity to learn what our sexual fantasies are teaching us. And I believe that they can be powerful teachers. And this has been such a huge insight for me because, you know, it's really been liberating for me because now I don't have to be afraid of, oh my gosh, when is the next um, sexual fantasy going to come up? When's the next sexual urge going to come up? Um, I can just um, learn uh, as they come up. So, you know, because, and there's, there's actually another quote that I wanted to read that I think really talks to this. Um, Cause I think we sometimes have this idea that chat, you know, if, if being chased means being perfect, right. Um, that means you never have a sexual thought or, or feeling or that you never masturbate or, you know, whatever. Um, and this quote um, from, this is from Adam Miller letters to young Mormon. I don't know if you've ever read yeah. that chapter on this is um, this chapter is amazing on, on sex. Um, but he, he, I think this is perfect. He says, um, learning to be chased is like learning to play the piano. There is only one way to learn. You must practice the music without already knowing how to play. Similarly, you must care for your hunger without already knowing its strength, meaning your, your sexual hunger, um, without already knowing its strength, its character, or how to direct it. You have no choice but to learn as you go. Life has never been lived in your body. Chastity is not a kind of perfection. You may have arrived in this world innocent, but chastity is something more than innocence. Chastity is not something you are born with and then break or lose. It is something that is made. Chastity is a habit built over time by way of good choices. It is a power that gathers strength from consistently practicing care and discipline. It is something that must, with years of patient and compassionate effort, be cultivated and grown and gathered and sealed. Um, and I just love that because I, for so many years, just thought that, like, because I had masturbated once, you know, that that, mean, that meant that I was somehow, you know, second-class citizen. And But that's just such a ridiculous mindset um, that, you know, to think that you can sit at the piano and just play a, you know, uh, be a concert pianist, right? Um, that there's going to be mistakes along the way. There have to be mistakes along the way in order to learn to be chased. Um, and that has been so healing for me to just recognize that. And as I've looked back at my journey, you know, I'm, I'm also an ARP facilitator and That's I, I, cool. um, I can great job. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I completed step four this year, finally the moral inventory, which, and it, and I, it took me so long to complete that step because I mean, I've been a part of this program for a long time, but, um, because I just had so much shame about, I can't, you know, I don't want to think about all these, all the sexual behaviors I've engaged in over the years, but as I actually addressed them, I realized all along I've kind of been learning. And, um, I mean, Hayden Paul, who, you know, talks about his, his podcast, the spiral staircase, right. That we're sometimes it feels like we're just returning back to the same behavior, but we're actually moving up and, that's what has been, you know, I'm still not perfect. Like, you know, I still struggle, um, but I expect to struggle. Uh, and I see that as part of my, my journey in learning, um, 
to become a chaste man and become a better disciple of Christ. Um, the scriptures, you know, one of my favorite scriptures is in the Book of Mormon that says, uh, you know, um, bridle your passions, you may be filled with love, right? It doesn't say squash your passions. It doesn't say, you know, cut them off or white knuckle them, but to bridle them, you know, to, to, you know, to me, that's more of like being aware of them, accepting that they're channeling them in a direction that, that, because I think our, our sexuality is telling us something about us, right? There's, it's, and we don't have to be so ashamed about it or ashamed at it at all. It's a, it's a beautiful gift from our heavenly father, whether it's, you know, whether you're gay or straight or what, you know, whatever flavor of that, that that's a gift and that we can use that to become, you know, be filled with love, um, as we learn how to practice and, you know, um, and I think it's just rather than be so uptight about it, like just to see this as a beautiful opportunity to, um, there's no, I don't think there's a better way that we could learn love than learning how to manage our, our sexual appetites in, in many ways. But. That's, a, that's another great segment. Um, bringing Adam Miller in there and that peril to learning how to play the piano is so thoughtful. It's so hopeful. It's, um, I was thinking, I'm, writing a new book. I've already talked about it. Listeners it won't be out till 2022 if I can ever finish it. But one of the chat, it's sort of about improving our culture. And one of the chapters is just pornography. And I just, and I probably picked this up from other guests like you, but I've always felt like Satan wants you to back the spiral staircase. He wants you to think that every time you mess up, you're back to square one and you're just going to start all over again. I think the savior wants you to feel like yeah, you've messed up, but the atonement and the healing that I give you and the hope that I give you through the atonement helps you feel like this is your, even though you've messed up, it's part of the process to, to put this behind you. And, and the process refines you if this is part of your life in a positive way. So I look at all the Christ-like attributes and gifts and compassion and empathy and understanding of other people that have come into your life because of this journey. And I, I'm not saying that we should look at pornography to sort of develop compassion for others, but mm -hmm. mortality just tests us, each of us in different ways. And each of us have our individual journeys we walk and hard chapters in our life that I think it's just part of mortality to grow and stretch and then to be able to be more compassionate and sort of reach out and bring others. And I would guess you're an incredible ARP group coordinator. And I, mm -hmm. I love that you went through the moral inventories section and you're the wounded healer we talk about in the podcast a lot you know you've heard that quote and a lot of our listeners have is you know this desert um you you were really you've been in this desert for a long time alone that's the other part of your story is um you're alone and at times you tell people what's going on in your life the best way you can but then you're kind of back to alone mm -hmm. and i think that's one of I, I don't want to use Satan too much as like he's in control of everything. I mean, it's Satan's real. But I think that's one of the things he's that he loses when you talk about this and when others talk about this, because you've seen how it's helped you to hear other stories and you sharing your story helps you. Mm -hmm. um, it helps me because I get insights into the gospel of Jesus Christ and just thoughts and impressions come on, but it really helps people that are in that desert feeling really alone. Um, and parents and priesthood leaders that need the stories that you're willing to share to help as they better help others. Um, 
talk about, I, I know, I think I know how you answer this question, but tell me if you think identifying as gay um, or looking at porn, oh, I'm sorry, did masturbation or porn make you gay? Uh, good question. Yeah. Uh, the short answer is no. Uh, the sci- I mean, you know, just the research doesn't support that uh, in the social sciences. But I believed that for so many years. Um, and that was, again, another part of my shame that I was like, I did this to my, I must have done this to myself, right? Um, by by masturbating so much or viewing gay porn. Um, and so it was, again, a part of that shame cycle of like, okay, well, I, then that means I just need to keep punishing myself in this way. Um, and so, and it, that question, I think, is just not a helpful question, right? Um, I mean, I, I, wrote, I told you to ask that question because uh, I think true. people ask it. And that's um, just the stand-up just... guy that Chauncey is. He actually <laughs> gave me some questions, yeah. not easy questions to ask him. That's Yeah, um, but the reason it's not helpful is because I guess I feel like, um, it, it, just because I, and I wanted to ask that because people ask that, right? Or it's, it's, I mean, it was, it was a question that I asked. Um, but it sort of implies that being gay is a bad thing Right. Um, and I mean, and we just know that there's people who compulsive masturbate and they're not gay. Right. And there's, so it's just, there's, um, but, but it doesn't, yeah. So it's not a bad thing to be gay. So I guess that that's, what's been helpful for me is to, you know, even if it did make you gay, like, okay. Um, there's a part of me that's like, okay, like that's where I'm at now. And, and it's, I, I like that I'm gay. It's, it's, you know, it's a, I feel like it, it's a gift and helps me to serve in different ways that I couldn't otherwise. It's so, a gift. Um, you know. Somebody called it a superpower on an earlier podcast. I can't remember. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you answering that question. I think, you know, um, we've tried to, we being straight Latter-day Saints have tried to historically sort of explain this away. Something went awry, either something happened in your life or you did something. And so, you know, then it takes any responsibility over off of me to sort of create a feeling of belonging for you because this is not, you know, we, we can undo this or you can undo this. But I think we've come to the point with more people coming out and just saying that, and the science, which is helpful, just saying this is um, how you're created and mm-hmm. and that it's actually a good thing. And it's part of the beautiful, diverse, needed diversity within the world and in the earth and within our church. And it helps us come together and create Zion in our differences. Um, and we're able to bring more people along with using all of our differences to reach people. I think part of the gathering is using all the beautiful differences of Latter-day Saints to be able to reach everybody in your, mm-hmm. our unique ways. Yeah. And, and we need to do a better job of helping our LGBTQ members feel a feeling of belonging so they stay and feel like mm-hmm. um, we're actually better off with them because they help us. Other questions you'd like me to ask? There's a few more here. Or do you want to just kind of proactively talk about anything else you want to talk to? We're kind of towards the end of the time allotment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean. And listeners, why Chauncey's thinking, my feeling about is that pornography is a window into someone's sexual orientation. It's not mm-hmm. something that changes it. Um, mm-hmm. That's just my experience talking with YSAs. Um, same with masturbation, that that's sort of hardwired and that's more of a window versus something that changes. Mm-hmm. That's not an invitation. Neither of us are inviting yeah. people to engage in those behaviors. Yeah. We're just trying no. to separate um, sexual orientation from pornography yeah. and masturbation. I think what I, yeah, I appreciate you mentioning that because I think what 
pornography does do or gay pornography does do is it it it's a very narrow it, it reinforces this very narrow view of what being gay means right like it's all about you know gay pornography is all about performance it's all about you know these hookups and these disconnected sex it's not about relationship at all and so it just reinforces for me like that's that's i think that's partly why i thought being gay was so bad right and because it, it was i mean the way they depicted it is not as evil i mean that's bottom line right it's it's absolutely evil and it's not i mean even from a behavioral health psychological standpoint it's not you know it's not healthy to um to how they're depicting sex, right? It's, it's completely, um, anti-sexual, right? Like it's, um, it's uh, really good insight. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, I know for me, um, and it's probably a good insight f- as we think about gay people, not just think about sexual behavior. I've, I've had to reprogram my brain when I mm-hmm. not, cause when a straight person walks into church that's single, I don't think about sexual behavior. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I've learned to sort of, I've had to do something doing. So when an LGBTQ person walks in my life or is in my life, or I had priesthood responsibility for a couple of gay men, I don't instantly think of sexual behavior. Yeah. Um, because why should I? Yeah. So that's, yeah. Yeah. And that's, um, and it's helped me then to also recognize as I've, because people say, you know, do you really have to like identify as gay and you know, what's, what's up with that? And can you just, you know, I don't know. Um, but I, you know, for I mean, I, I don't have to, right? It's my choice. I can, I mean, in a sense, right? But it, for me, it's um, it's helped me to uh, to s- expand my repertoire of what it means to be gay, right? Like I, I don't, because uh, now I, you know, it's not like I have to turn to porn because there's not, I'm not in the closet about it, and it's not so shameful. So I, I recognize there's other parts of this that allow me to just. You know, because people, you know, in the past I thought, well, maybe if I just don't view gay porn, I'm not going to have these attractions anymore. But actually, in some ways, they become stronger when I don't, uh, I'm not viewing porn because I'm not, you know, trying to act on them. And so, but I, I listen to them and sort of understand that there's more pieces to it, that, you know, there's a there's a romantic piece to it. There's a piece to it of just being interested in, in men and, and wanting to, you know, just loving uh, loving men and wanting to understand them and connect with them and, and, um, you know, just having a sensitivity, I guess, to those things. Um, and so, yeah. I think one of the things that will be a great blessing in your life is the, you you are, and will continue to be a wonderful father to your sons. Yeah. And that, you know, you're not quite sure how your marriage is going to work out, but I'm pretty confident your relationship with your sons will be one of the greatest blessings of your life and their life. And I would say if you came on the podcast and they're in their twenties and that puts you my age roughly, um, that there will be a lot of, that their ability to talk to you about what's going on in their life and you creating, and if this is your wife or your ex-wife, I think she'll recognize your role in their life because Mm -hmm. of the world, the ability you've developed to be honest and, and create a spirit of communication and trust so that you can walk with them when no one really had the skills to walk with you. And I yeah. think that will be a great blessing to them in their lives. And, yeah. and, and for other people in your circle through your, through your church service and through your, your clinical work, if that's the right term, yeah. that that will be a great blessing. I hope you're okay with me saying that, but I just, I think that yeah. you are a great father. And I believe yeah. that 
some people would say, well, gosh, boys are growing up with a gay father that's got a challenge with porn that's talking about it. I just, mm -hmm. I actually think, I think your kids have got a great future because of you. And I think you, they're meant to be your children by design. Thank you, Richard. No, I, that's something I desire more than anything is to be that father who can walk with them and, and have open communication with them, uh, you know, because of what I've learned and, and been through and, and, you know, my, my parents were doing the best that they knew how, like, I don't, Sure. I, you know, I don't hold any grudges towards them and I definitely feel like they're in there and I'm doing the best that I know how there's, there's, you know, there's, there's time where I've made plenty of mistakes. So, you know, we just do the best that we can and hopefully just learn and be a little bit better with each generation um, to, and I think we're at a point now where we have a lot more knowledge about how, about sexuality. And I mean, we're still not, it's still a paradox, right? We're, there's still a lot we don't know. We're just sort of like the piano analogy, we're all as a human race just trying to figure things out still, right? And and so, but hopefully we can learn along the way and um, just trust in the Lord um, that he He knows what's going on. And he, you know, and that's that's where my, that's where I, that's why I feel peace, even though I'm in this situation where there's a lot of uncertainty and unknown, which I think all of us are, right? Um, there's nobody that if they, if they say they've had it all figured out, then they're just lying. But um uh, so that's where I feel peace is just to know that, um, that my savior, he, he knows exactly, um, what's needed and whatever happens if I, you know, if our marriage does end, um, that he will continue to, to be with our family and, and to help us navigate that journey. And, and we, you know, serve and grow, grow and, and become better whatever, whatever way we do, you know? So I think, um, that's just where I am just so grateful for the gospel because um, it's great. I think listeners will just kind of conclude with that. That was a great testimony of the future of the gospel of your hope. And um, I think, you know, 10 to 15,000 people listen to this podcast. It's not because of me. It's because of you and all the other guests that bravely come forward. And it's so helpful what you're doing on this podcast and these podcasts have a long shelf life. You know, it's not like a sports podcast where the content becomes irrelevant after the series is over. This will help a lot of people for a long time. So on behalf of our listeners, Chauncey, um, how do people contact you if they want to contact you, Chauncey? Yeah, they can, uh, they can find me on, on Facebook, okay. um, just under my name, Chauncey Brinton. And then, you know, just tell me, you know, I, I, I try to, screen people kind of, cause you know, things can happen, but just tell me, you know, how, why you're messaging me, how you find about me. And then I can either add you or just message you back. But. So yeah, we'll put, um, Chauncey's, we, when I post these on Facebook, I tag the, usually tag the person that's on the podcast. So you should be able with a name like Chauncey Brinton, you should be able to track him down on Facebook. So if, um, appreciate you letting us know how to find you and so um, thanks, Chauncey Brinton, and this is Richard Osler signing off on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.